Good evening. It would be helpful if you could keep open the, the psalm that Christoph read to us earlier, Psalm 121, and we'll, we'll look at it together this evening. Before we do that, let's just pray for a minute. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have each week to, to meet together and to study your word. We thank you for your word, a word that is alive and that can speak into our lives today every bit as much as when these words were first written. We pray for ourselves as a congregation tonight that through the words of this psalm, we would each learn something that would be a life-changing experience for each of us. May you speak to us tonight, Father, through your Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll never forget the father of three young children who I met about 10 years ago. A false allegation had been made against him and it had made the headline in the previous evening's Belfast Telegraph. Legal proceedings seeking a lot of money had been issued against him. He faced the loss of reputation, financial ruin and a pretty bleak outlook. Now you could predict his response, couldn't you? One of despair, concern, worry, anxiety all totally understandable. But no, this guy's reaction was different, and it's a reaction that I've never forgotten. While he wasn't in any sense enjoying the situation, he had what seemed an unnatural calmness about it. I was a, a little disconcerted uh, by him, and I pressed him further in case he was holding something back. Did he know something that I didn't? And his answer that he gave was a genuine one. As I say, 10 years have passed, and it's an answer that I've, I've never forgotten. He said, when I face problems in life, I'll never forget the words I learned as a child. The words of the psalm we read tonight. The Lord watches over my coming and going, both now and evermore. What an attitude to be able to have to the problems one faces in life to know that the Lord watches over them now and evermore. I wonder if you ever dreamt of a problem-free life. If you have, what sort of life would you dream of? A life probably of, of health and of wealth and of prosperity. A life without hospitals or hearses or handkerchiefs. A life in general without struggle. Now, of course, that sort of life has existed, and one day it will exist again. In the earliest chapters of the Bible, we read of an idyllic life where man lived in harmony with God and struggle was, was unknown. And the Bible, of course, tells us that when Jesus returns to this earth, for those of us who know him, life will be like that again, a life of ease as man and God live in perfect harmony together. You can read of it, of course, in the Bible. Read of it in the early chapters of Genesis and in the last chapters of the Bible in the book of Revelation. But here and now, things are pretty different, aren't they? Which of us has not experienced to varying degrees heartache and hardship? Whether with family, employment, with friends, with church, with health, 
in the three traditional divisions of life, in our spiritual life, our emotional life, our physical life, hardship exists, and it exists for each one of us. Even for those who appear to have made it, well, scratch beneath the surface, read your newspapers, and it doesn't take long to find out that they live difficult and often empty lives as well. Let me dispel one fallacy for you. Life this side of Jesus' return will be full of problems. Run away from them and they'll find you. It's a fruitless and a pointless exercise to try to reverse the plans that God has set in place following the fall of man. Life here will be full of difficulties. Read about it in Genesis chapter 3. Life here in this world today will be tough. And so as we live this life, a life full of difficulty and hardship, we need to learn to approach it differently, to learn how to handle the problems, the difficult situations that will arise in life. In fact, God calls us to do that. And I think we'll find much help in that struggle from the psalm that Christoph read to us tonight, Psalm 121. I hope you've read it, and I hope together we can learn from it. And maybe in a time of difficulty, you'll turn to it and realize the truth that it contains. Now, it might be helpful for a moment if we thought again a little bit about the background of this psalm. And Christoph covered some of this last week, but let me just refresh your mind. When this psalm was written, each year the, the Jews from all over Israel and further afield traveled to Jerusalem three times a year to worship God at the three festivals. Now, just as in England, as the, the Pennines form the, the backbone, the spine of England running down it, so through Israel ran the Judean hills running from north to south. From the hills to the, the west, the land fell away towards the Mediterranean Sea, and to the east, it fell away into the Jordan Valley, down towards the River Jordan. But up on top of the Judean hills was perched the holy city of Jerusalem. And of course, that was a special place for the Jews. The temple at the time of this psalm, the temple was situated there where God lived amongst his people. A thousand years before, of course, that was the, the site of, of Mount Moriah, where Abram had gone to sacrifice his son Isaac, and God had provided a, a lamb in his place. But at the time of this psalm, God lived there in Jerusalem, and the Jews each year went to worship him there. Now, to celebrate the, the festivals properly, Jews were required to, to travel from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. Now, those who lived close by might achieve that regularly. For those further afield, it maybe was the, the, the once-in-a-lifetime experience they might have had to make it to Jerusalem. And that's where we find ourselves uh, in tonight's psalm. We find our pilgrim making his way from outside of Jerusalem towards that holy city. Now, cars weren't known, of course, at, at that stage, and except for the very rich, travel would have been on foot. Travelers, of course, had to take their own possessions with them, what they needed for the journey, or if they weren't going to do it that way, they would take cash with them to, to buy their, their food uh, as they went through the, the various villages along the way. They'd also be carrying, of course, their temple tax that they were demanded to bring and to, to pay into the offering in the temple. 10% of their annual income. So travelers traveling towards Jerusalem would be cash rich 
they would be a good target for robbers. And of course, we can think of the story that Jesus told uh, about the, 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 the traveler traveling through the hills uh, and how he was attacked by robbers. The hills were also a, a location for what were known as, as high places where false gods were worshipped. And our pilgrim, as he traveled through the, the hills, may have felt not only under physical threat, but also under spiritual attack. You see, in the hills that the pilgrims traveling through, danger was ever-present. And so as he stands in the foothills of the Judean hills, looking towards Jerusalem, he finds himself probably full of excitement. He's going to worship God. He's going to the place that God has called him to be at. And yet at the same time, he finds himself full of, of fear and of apprehension for the journey that confronts him. And as he does, he turns, and look at it there in verse 1. What does he do? He looks to the hills. As he does so, a fear of the physical, emotional, and maybe spiritual harm comes over him. And as he looks to the hills, he asks himself a question. Again in verse 1, he asks himself, when I face these hills, when I face these problems, where is it that my help comes from? You know, often in times of, of fear and, and concern, as we face difficult situations, we look for help. And I wonder where our help comes from. Well, today it maybe comes from a variety of different sources. What about self-help? Go into any good bookshop today and you'll find row after row of, of books devoted to, to self-help remedies. The Americans have a saying, if you need a helping hand, you'll find it at the end of your arm. You might know the story of the the, the plane carrying the, the computer expert, the minister, and the boy scout. Now, the engines failed, and the, the three passengers and the pilot had to, to bail out, but they had a problem. There were only three parachutes between the four of them. The pilot proclaimed, he said, I have a wife and three young children, so I need a parachute. And with that, he took that and jumped out to safety. The computer oper operator proclaimed, he said, I'm one of the smartest men in the world. What I do benefits millions of people. So he lifted a parachute and jumped out. Now the minister, he turned to the Boy Scout and said, Son, I've lived a longer life than you. Life is all ahead of you. You take the last parachute. Relax, minister, said the Boy Scout. One of the smartest men in the world has taken my rucksack and jumped out of the plane. And isn't that often the experience that, that many of us have in life as we try to help ourselves? We might think we're doing something that solves the problem, but ultimately it doesn't work. Now what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying that when you encounter little difficulties in life, you simply sit back and do nothing. Often there are things that we can do to help the situation, to help ourselves. But despite what some would suggest, about the infinite resourcefulness and ingenuity of man. We're all finite people. We have our limitations. And for many of us, the difficulties that we face in life can't be solved by ourselves. That's self-evident. It's self-evident as I look into my life, and I suspect as you look into yours. Others may be turned to, to alcohol or to drugs to try and mask their problems, to blot out the hills that confront them. They say that the amount spent on, on alcohol in this island in the last 25 years has doubled, and drugs are now readily available. 
all who try that will find drugs and alcohol masking your problems doesn't make them go away. Sober up and the problem's still there. For some others, they seek the help in the form of religion and, and new philosophies that proclaim, we can help you navigate your way through life. However, the Bible's quite clear. There is only one true God. The modern philosophy of, of you have your God and I'll have mine, that's out of step with biblical truth. Again, ultimately, other religions and philosophies will not provide you with the help that you need as you encounter the hills in life. But for the believer, help comes from only one place. There is a God who made the hills and is greater than them. The believer knows that there's a God who made them, who is sovereign and who rules over all, even the hills, the difficulties one faces in life. So all the things that are feared are under the control of God. And you'll see the, our pilgrim finds the answer to his question. The question that he asked as he looked to the hills, he said, where does my help come from? In verse 2, he finds the answer. He said, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. As he faces the hills with all their attendant difficulties, he draws on a source that is greater than the hills, the very God who made them. And that's an important lesson for us to learn in life. Seeking help from something that's on the same level as the hills, as the difficulties that you confront, will ultimately fail. You've got to turn to something that is more powerful. So where do you go to when life is full of hills? The opening verses of this psalm tell us to turn to the one who made the hills. One day a great skyscraper was constructed in America, and on the day of its, of its opening, praise was heaped on the architect who designed it. The architect was interviewed and he was asked, what does it feel like to be finally finished with this building? Finished, he replied. I'll be involved with this building till the day I die. Every time a problem or a difficulty arises, as problems and difficulties will, people will come to me because I know this building. I designed it and I made it. And you see, that's very much the same way with, with us. We need to turn to the God who made the problems, who allowed them to happen, who made us, who is in control of all, to answer our problem. Well, what does our maker do? The psalm goes on to tell us a little bit about how God deals with the problems in life. The first thing it does, he provides us with ceaseless guidance. What does he do? He watches over us. Look how many times those words are used in this psalm. You'll see them there in verse 3. Four, five, and eight. Repeat it time after time. God watches over us. Now, some of you might have seen the, the movie The Bear. It's the saga of a tiny bear cub whose mother dies. Now the cub survives, survives, but the viewer knows that his long-term chances are, are almost nil. And then the unexpected happens. The little cub gets more or less adopted by an enormous adult bear. This giant bear is always watching over the cub. He protects it from the mountain lion that has been stalking it and would love to attack it. He teaches the, the little cub how to be a bear. Everything the adult bear does, the cub imitates. He waddles in a stream, stabs at fish like the adult bear. He stands on two legs, he scratches his back against a tree. 
just as he's seen the adult do. You watch this and you're filled with hope. You think, this little cub, he has a chance. He's going to live. But one day they, they get separated. The little bear can't see the, the adult anywhere. Now the mountain lion has never forgotten the cub. And finally he sees the opportunity. He comes swiftly and silently face to face with the cub. He's just about to spring. Now the little bear sees what he's seen the adult bear do. He rears up on his, his hind legs. He lifts his paws and tries to growl fiercely, but the best he can manage is just a frightened squeak. And the mountain lion is far from convinced by that. And both the cub and his attacker know the cub's about to die. The camera focuses on the mountain lion, whose face suddenly registers a look of fear. He stops snarling. He turns and slinks away. The camera turns to the cub. And he's as surprised as anyone watching. Could his growl really have worked that well? But then the camera pans back and we see what we didn't know was there. We see what the little bear didn't know. Behind that little bear is the great adult bear standing on his hind legs, his massive body poised to save him with a single swipe. And then we know the little bear had nothing to worry about all along. The cub couldn't see him or hear him, but the adult bear was there all the time. That forest was a perfectly safe place for that little bear to be. The adult could be trusted even when he seemed to be absent. And so it is with God. God watches over us as the adult bear watched over the cub. And so for the believer, God is watching over us right now, over each one of us. And when does he do that? Well, this psalm tells us in verse 6 that he does it 24 hours of every day. In verse 6, look at it. While the sun rises from the dawn to the dusk, or while the moon shines throughout the night, he's watching over us. And it's not just for a day or two or a week or till he tires. No, verse 8, it happens from now to evermore. That's easy to read, but maybe more difficult when you start to, to think it through. All the days of your life, for some of us, that may be, be less than others. But for all of us, God's protection continues beyond the grave and into all eternity. And where is he? Is this God distant? Is he remote? Is he far away? No, says the psalmist. Verse 5, he is our shade, or, or maybe better put, he's our shadow at our right hand. See, we can walk through all the circumstances of life with great confidence knowing that God is watching over us. He's right beside us 24 hours of every day. But the psalm tells us more than God is just watching over us. It tells us what God actually does for us. What's the nature of his protection? This God who watches over us closely and constantly has promised, verse 3, our feet will not slip. Verse 6, we will not be harmed. Verse 7, we'll be kept from, from all harm. Isn't that wonderful? Whatever the pills or problems we face in life, we have a sure protection, a promise from God that we will not be harmed and that our feet won't slip. That sounds fantastic. It's just what we need, isn't it, as we encounter the problems in, in this life, whether they be physical, spiritual, emotional. As problems arise, we'll be kept from, from all harm. 
However, if you ask anyone who's been a, a Christian for any time, are those words true? They'll tell you that in life, they're not cocooned from problems. On the contrary, problems are often real and very difficult. So I wonder what the psalm means when it says that we'll be kept from harm all of the time. And as so often in scripture, we need to turn to, to other passages to try and unpack the, the meaning of what the psalmist was trying to say. Tonight we've spoken a few times about the, the different aspects of life, the spiritual, the physical, and the emotional. Let's take each of those in turn and let's just think a little bit more about that, what it means to be kept from all harm in those aspects of our lives. In the spiritual aspect of our lives, when we become Christians, of course, we're given great blessing. While we live our lives here on earth, we have God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside us. And when we die, we live a life in God's intimate presence. We are truly blessed when we uh, become Christians and turn our lives over to him. But are there circumstances in life that will harm us, that will remove and take those blessings away from us? Well, Jesus tackled this subject when he spoke to his followers and he referred to them as his sheep. Let me read you words that he said that are recorded in John's gospel. He said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall not perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Once you become a Christian, you will not be lost. The trials and tribulations of life may come and the Bible makes it clear that no one is exempt from that, but no one and nothing can snatch you out of God's loving hand. What about our physical and emotional problems that we'll encounter of life. The psalm tells us that our feet will not slip. Now for some of us this week, our feet may very literally have slipped and we may have had bumps and bruises. The physical problems we face may range from mild discomfort to really acute illness. And emotional harm might suffer from feeling a little bit down to severe forms of, of mental illness. Those things apply to the Christian, to the believer, every bit as much as to the non-believer. So again, what does it mean when the psalm says that we'll be kept from all harm? Again, we need to turn to other passages of scripture to, to help us understand that. Jeremiah wrote a letter to the Jews of his day uh, who were living in exile, who were living beyond uh, the, the borders of Israel. And he wrote, speaking of God, he wrote, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Let me read those words again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And so God has a plan for our lives. And it's a plan for good it's a plan to see us prosper. I wonder if you ever watched a, an artist paint a, a picture. When he starts off, you might begin to wonder uh, what he's doing. There's a bit of a, an oddly splattered black here or a big dollop of red over there. 
it all sometimes can seem at the start a bit out of place and you sort of wonder does he know what he's doing it just doesn't seem right it seems to be all going wrong it's heading for disaster but if you wait and let the artist complete the picture you'll see at the end that he knew what he was doing all along it all fits together that bit of black and that bit of red were all part of the artist's overall plan to paint the perfect picture you know, often in our lives, as we face physical and emotional difficulties, we must learn to trust God and to trust that he knows what he's doing, even if all our human senses tell us it's all going wrong. The Bible tells us that God's in control and he knows what he's doing. What we have to learn to do is to trust him as he sees the whole picture of our lives. We do well to remember the words of another psalm as we face these problems in life. We need to be still and to know that I am God. And yet for many of us, trusting our, our cares to God can be easy to say, can't it, but, but difficult to do. You see, almost from the moment we're born, we're taught to become increasingly independent people. Not too long into life, we begin to, to sit up on our own. We begin to learn to feed ourselves. As we go on through childhood, we begin to think for ourselves. And into adolescence, independence grows stronger and stronger. The way we're brought up in life develops a, a culture within us of becoming increasingly independent. Not to trust in others, but to trust in ourselves. And often that can make it difficult for us to learn to trust in others. And I think it can often make it difficult for us to learn to trust in God. Depending on the personality type you are, that can be even harder still. One very practical thing that, that I've learned in recent years is to learn scripture and to quote it to myself when life seems to be all going wrong. To remember the truth that's contained in God's word. I mentioned the, uh, a few minutes ago the words of Psalm 46, to be still and know that I am God. Last summer, we have a, a few leaders from Port Ballantrae Sism here tonight. My children absolutely adore that. And last summer, they, they bought for me at the little bookshop there a little fob for the key ring, my key ring with those words on it. Be still and know that I am God. And I've had that with me almost constantly through the last year. And when times are tough and times are difficult, it's a great reminder to be able to turn to those words in Scripture to remember that God is who he says he is, and he is in control of all. So where does your help come from? As you face the difficulties and trials that will inevitably beset you, where do you turn for help? Do you turn to yourself? Do you turn to something to, to mask the problems? Do you turn to religions or philosophies? This psalm calls us, and Jesus calls us, to turn to him, to turn to God when we're weary and we're worried and when we need rest. Surely we'll do that in our hour of need. Let's remember that Psalm 121 provides a reminder to us of the intimate, constant protection of God as he watches over us closely, constantly, keeping us from all harm. Let's pray.